Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 71 of the Mike and Dave podcast. We are in the NFL playoffs right in the middle. We've got the conference championship games coming up this weekend. So we'll uh, give a little bit of preview for that, talk a little bit about uh, the playoffs so far. We'll have the usual segments. And of course, that all starts with off the top. It is Dave's turn to bring the prompt for that. So I will kick it over to him. What's up, everybody? This is Dave. And yes, it's my turn. Um, and in the midst of the playoffs, while all this is going on, the offseason has already started for the vast majority of NFL teams. And that, of course, means the NFL coaching carousel is full and un- is fully underway. So, of course, with the firing of Arthur Smith, which we talked about on the last off the top, I figured why not carry on the theme and get your thoughts on who you want to bring in uh, to be the Falcons head coach. Because as it's been well documented, the Falcons have had multiple interviews with Bill Belichick, arguably the GOAT head coach. Also, apparently are going to be meeting with Jim Harbaugh multiple times, in addition to several other candidates, Ben Johnson, Mike McDonald, um, Bobby Slowick of the Texans, uh, Aaron Glenn of, of the of the Lions. Um, so there, there have been a lot of different names floating around. It seems like the Falcons are doing a very extensive, wide-ranging search for the next head coach. It seems like you know, they're really wanting to make sure that they get this one right, obviously. So from your perspective, as a Falcons fan, who, give me your like top three, I would say, you don't have to go like fully in depth about each one of them, but just give me your top three candidates um, and a little bit about why you'd want them to be the next coach of the Falcons. Sure. So let me address the two big names first. Uh, Bill Belichick. I don't think like he's the guy at the top of my list. I feel like for the cachet alone, I have to include him in the top three. Even if I don't think he's exactly what the Falcons need, you know, he's the goat coach. And so just as a fan, there would be that hype of like, you know, what are the odds? It's actually your team that lands Bill Belichick. You know, I'm imagining myself getting that bleacher report notification Falcons signed Bill Belichick to, you know, three year deal or whatever. I'd be like, Oh, Oh crap. Like that's crazy. You know, (laughs) even if I'm not actively rooting every day for that to happen, I'm not going to pretend I wouldn't be excited about it. As long as he doesn't get, you know, GM power. Yeah. Oh, and that's that's what I think is the the drawback of it is how much control is he willing to give up in order to, you know, accept the head coaching role somewhere else. I think it that really depends on yeah, if he's coming on, we'll be the head coach and we'll coach up the defense, like that's great. But best believe we don't want you picking, you know, whoever at, at number eight in this year's draft. Yeah, not a chance. Uh, the only pro bowlers he's drafted in the last, like, I think, decade or something is a kicker and a punter. So, you know, who were not, you know, a position we're not drafting at eight. So, please no. Um, before the Falcons 
or I'm sorry, before the Cowboys went ahead and decided to bring Mike McCarthy back, I was thinking that that would be a decent, like the best pairing for Belichick. Because it's like, okay, Jerry Jones is not going to let this man be the GM. Yeah. But if you're telling Belichick to go onto that Cowboys roster and just coach. So, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know whether Belichick is two or three for me. He's not one, just, you know, as I've described, but I would be excited about it. Jim Harbaugh. I was telling you this the other day, but. If I know that Jim Harbaugh is coming to the NFL, then he's my number one choice. I'd rather he stay at Michigan. And, you know, that's not like the kind of thing that I get to know necessarily, unless he just says straight up, oh, yeah, I was between Michigan and Atlanta or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. If if that's the case, I want him to stay at Michigan. But if if his coming to the NFL is a guarantee, then Atlanta all the way, and I would want him over anybody else. But because I'd rather he stay at Michigan, I guess I'll narrow him down to two. Um, I'm just going to exclude him just because I'd rather him be at Michigan. Uh, so I can't okay. actively say I want him to come to Atlanta. That's fair. Um, I like Mike McDonald, but there are two names I'd rather have above him. Um, well, I guess three, including Belichick. Um, number two... It, well, number one is Eric Bieniemy. Let me just say that one. Um, I will forever hold out hope that we can somehow pull that. Um, the brilliant offensive mind that he is. And uh, Ryan Nielsen has done well with the Falcons defense. So I'm looking for an offensive mind to come to the Falcons, which leads me to number two. Uh, it's a name you already said, Bobby Slowick. Uh, the job that he's done in Houston is or has been just terrific all the way around. Uh, For goodness sake, they actually got into the divisional round of the playoffs. Uh, Very few people would have guessed that going into this season. We will eventually have an episode where we review our preseason tier list. Some teams, it'll be pretty, and some not so much. The Texans will be one of those not-so-muches. And that that is thanks in part to Bobby Slowick and the work that he's done. Um, of course, you know, there are plenty of other factors. D'Amico Ryans has had an amazing first year as head coach. C.J. Stroud has had an unbelievable rookie season. But I'm looking at the offensive coordinator that has a lot to do with that amazing rookie season from C.J. Stroud, and I would not be upset at all. In fact, I'd be quite pleased with Bobby Slowick being the new head coach of the Falcons. Well, and you look at the job that he's done Obviously, Stroud. It's kind of it's hard to to look bad um, when you have a rookie quarterback who can go in there and take care of the ball and you know have the deep accuracy that he does, the poise in the pocket, all of that. Um, it's also fair to say it's not like Nico Collins was setting the world on fire before, um, you know, before the season. And he's really developed into arguably a number one receiver in the NFL. Um, it's not like the Texans have, they have a great left tackle in Tunsil, but they don't have an amazing offensive line and they've still managed to make it work. So I'm just kind of comparing the the Texans, you know, build of their offensive roster to the Falcons. I'm like, if we can 
either draft or sign a quarterback, then we're probably in a better like a better position than the Texans were just purely on paper. So theoretically, he could be a good choice. I will say, though, I don't know if you saw this, but Ryan Nielsen actually left the Falcons, and now he's the defensive coordinator of the Jags. Uh, after two years as the Falcons defensive coordinator, which I was very upset to hear, and also made me think maybe they are bringing in Belichick. Um, so that also really puts everything up in the air because now it could really be offense or defense. Okay. Admittedly, no, I had not seen that. It was a it was a pretty recent thing. So, crap. I mean, let's see. What, what did I say? Bienemy, Slowick, and Belichick. I think my list remains as as stated. Um, though, Mike McDonald is now number four. Um, the defensive mind that he is coming from that that John Harbaugh coaching tree, uh, former defensive coordinator at Michigan, um, didn't work out as well as Jesse Minner, but he did a great job overhauling that defense, so I would trust him with ours. But the other three names have to stay above him for now. Mm-hmm. Well, to be fair, like you said, McDonald did kind of implement the foundation that was built off of. Um, I guess you just say the Harbaugh coaching tree because he coached for both brothers. Um, Yeah. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening. Um, It is interesting to me that Belichick has only, as of the recording has only officially talked to the Falcons. No other team has interviewed him. And at this point, I'm not sure what they would be waiting for. Um, so it is kind of curious to me that he's not really getting any other offers or interviews or anything, which, you know, say what, what you want about the guy his in his age and, you know, whatever. But like we saw Tom Brady leave the Patriots, go to the Bucks in a good situation and just elevate, you know, that roster to a championship winning team. I'm not saying that the Falcons are necessarily ready for that next season, but with the right coach, I mean, what we've seen with D'Amico Ryans and the Texans, like they were a bottom feeder for years. They draft the right quarterback. They hire the right head coach. All of a sudden they're in the divisional round of the playoffs. The Falcons could follow that same formula. And maybe that's with Slowick, you know, Um, in terms of the quarterback, that'll be a whole other discussion that we'll get into in a future episode, I'm sure. Um, But it does seem like the Falcons have, you know, along with the Chargers, probably they have pretty much been determined as one of the top couple destinations for coaches, which we're not used to the Falcons being much of a destination for anyone, um, uh, sports related at least. So that's been cool to see. And it's been, you know, I don't think that out of a lot of the guys that they're interviewing, there's going to be necessarily a, a bad choice from who who they've been interviewing um but i would not be surprised if it does end up being a splashy hire whether that's you know belichick or harbaugh or maybe even somebody like ben johnson or aaron glenn um both of the lions who have gotten a lot of you know major support around the league 
had interviews with a lot of the teams with vacancies. Um, either way, I, I feel like Arthur Blank, he's getting old, let's be honest. I think he he's his patience is running thin, um, which is fair because it's like, how much time does he realistically have left um, to, which is kind of morbid, uh, but like, you know, to to be down on the sideline and be a part of it and hopefully watch his team win. So we'll see. Um, but he's ready to hand over that Arthur blank check to anyone that can provide him. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, please do. Yeah. Um, I, I will be ready and, and waiting for that. Um, but anyway, that wraps up off the top. Um, and that'll kind of just nicely transition us into uh playoff talk, uh, because, you know, I think we can kind of start with Mike McDonald and the Ravens. Um, their showing on defense was very impressive to say the least. Um, I was very, I don't, I don't want to say that I was like super surprised um, because the Ravens are almost always solid defensively, but the way that they were flying around, you know, flocking to the ball, pun intended, um, the fact that the Texans, after absolutely annihilating the Browns defense, never even took a snap um, within the 25-yard line, like, and the only touchdown they scored was on that punt return, that was a very impressive showing. And they weren't even playing with Marlon Humphrey, their their best DB. So, shout out to Mike McDonald's. Every you know, Roquan Smith, I've I've mentioned him before and how big, you know, I think it was actually maybe we were talking about some midseason awards or something. Um, and I was mentioning him for like defensive player of the year consideration. He's not gonna win it. It'll be one of the edge rushers, uh, almost undoubtedly. But I do th- or maybe Deron Bland. Um, but I do think the impact that they had signing or trading for Roquan Smith signing him to that big extension that really just took that whole defense to another level. Um, and I don't think that can be understated. So I was really, I mean, that was the most impressive win that I think we've seen this postseason. Obviously the Texans win over the Browns was, was pretty impressive, but then you take the Ravens beating the Texans in a somewhat similar fashion. And that makes it even more impressive. I think. Oh yeah. I mean, it's one of those, like, it just shows that there's levels to it, you know, like we see what the Texans did to the Browns and we've seen their offense cook all year, but then they go up against a Ravens defense that, as you mentioned, isn't even at full strength. I mean, there were good games or like individuals on that team that had good games, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, Kyle Hamilton had a good game, but yeah, the Texans couldn't get anything going. And this doesn't discredit what we were saying earlier about Bobby Slowick. I, you know, it was just the Ravens are that legit right now. And to be fair to the Texans, that is a um, a young, inexperienced team from coach to individual players. And you got to figure for them, like, getting this far was gravy, you know? Like, no one was expecting the Texans Texans to get this far. It's not a letdown for them. I mean, I'm sure the players are saying otherwise, but this isn't a letdown for them. This is nothing but a positive for their season. 
Yeah, but, I mean, it, it definitely, to me, it feels like it's the beginning yeah. for the Texans. Um, like I like I said, the, the first, the rookie head coach, the rookie quarterback, what was that stat? Like they're the third, you know, rookie, con- you know, quarterback and head coach combination to win a playoff game. Um, I think Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez and John Harbaugh and Joe Flacco. Yeah. So, I mean, like those other two coaches are a Hall of Fame NFL head coaches. Mm-hmm. So obviously a great start for them. It's one of those things where I'm sure the expectations for them were to compete for the division realistically, just because their division isn't great, kind of sim- similar to the NFC South. But winning a playoff game, I think that they would have been dreaming about something like that happening. And the fact that it actually came true and they made it to the divisional round that's got to be viewed as a successful season and we'll see if they're, they're able to follow it up next year, but I don't see any reason why they, they shouldn't be able to. So, you know, shout out to the Texans for getting this far, proving us wrong and pretty much everyone else wrong as well on the way. Um, interestingly enough, that was really the only blowout from the divisional round of games. All the other games were very entertaining, very tight. Um, and, you know, talking about teams that overperformed a bit this year, I think the Packers are definitely up there as well. The fact that they were able to, you know, effectively blow out the Cowboys in Dallas was pretty eye-opening, I think, for a lot of people. Um, I mean, this is kind of what we've grown to expect from the Cowboys, right? But it's still also like the, you know, doing it to Mike McCarthy, the former head coach, all that. Um, Jordan Love in his first, you know, season starting after Aaron Rodgers left, leading them to a playoff victory, all of that. It was just very impressive the way that they did it. Also, one one thing to note too, Aaron Jones had a very tough season individually. Really struggled to get going, um, injured for the bulk of the season. But I tell you one thing, he looked fresh out there. Like he looked like he hadn't played much all season um, with the way that he was running. He was running hard, decisive. His cuts were crisp. Um, it was really, really fun watching him both in the Cowboys win and in that narrow 49ers loss where he played extremely well. So, you know, I got to give massive credit to the Packers for even though they lost to the Niners. I don't think many people were giving them too much of a chance against the Cowboys in the first place. And the fact that they were able to keep it to within three of the 49ers, who a lot of people I think had pegged as the favorites in the NFC, that was a really impressive thing for them to do. Yeah. The Packers, much like the Texans, just like kind of on borrowed time in a way. Maybe that's not the best way to put it, but uh, this is certainly cause for optimism as opposed to, disappointment with the result jordan love has had a great season he had a great game against the the cowboys made some tough mistakes there um against the 49ers uh particularly that uh crossbody interception you know that was rough but again you know if you're a packers fan looking into next season i feel like jordan love at this point has answered the question like do you have your starting quarterback or do you need to find a new one I think the Packers are like totally set to roll forward with Jordan Love at this point. Yeah, he's going to be due for an extension. Uh, 
and that's going to make things a little bit more difficult. But they already proved they were very close to making the conference championship game with Jordan Love at quarterback. So you got to think that they're thinking, well, the way that they played and, you know, and beat the Cowboys, the way that they really rallied throughout the second half of the season and made the playoffs in the first place and then almost beat the Niners in San Francisco. Yeah, that's something that you decide to build on. You don't decide to reset like the the Bears might do with Fields. Right. And sticking in the NFC North, the Lions, another team that, you know, I think we had a feeling that this would be a better year than last year, but I don't know about predicting them getting this far. Um, To think that the Lions are one win away from getting to the Super Bowl for the first time in their history. They're one of only four teams in the NFL, the only team in the NFC, to never make it to the Super Bowl. And they're facing a 49ers team who, first of all, did almost lose to the Packers. Second of all, could be playing without Debo Samuel. And, you know, frankly, they didn't look, they looked far from unbeatable. Let me just, we'll just put it that way. You know, um, should they go into this next game the favorite? Probably. But not so much that Detroit winning is like, A, unheard of, but even like that shocking, you know? Uh, This is really, this really has the grounds to be a toss-up game. And, you know, coming from Michigan, myself, uh, go Lions, man. Um, the, the way that, like, shout out to Dan Campbell, because you talk about a coach coming in and turning a program, a culture around. He's done it. Like, when, you, when you're a team hiring a new coach, you hope that it is going to have the effect that Dan Campbell has had in Detroit. Because that went from a trash-ass franchise that has never sniffed this. Literally, like, before this year, their last playoff win was 32 years ago. Before this year, Dave and I had not been alive to see the Lions win a playoff game. And now they're almost in the Super Bowl. Like, really, really, really quickly. That's from his coaching work. You have Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn. You have... Aiden Hutchinson, you know, they, they draft him second overall and he makes an instant impact, you know, uh, Jared Goff and the career, um, renaissance that he's had, uh, they question taking Jameer Gibbs 12th overall and look, look who's scoring a touchdown in this game, um, to get them here, uh, in this game against the Buccaneers. Amon Ross St. Brown has been a menace. Sam Laporta in his rookie year, already looking like one of the best tight ends in football. Uh, Their offensive line putting in that work, you know. um, Their defense swarming to the ball. C.J. Gardner-Johnson talking shit and then backing it up, you know. Like, all across the board, the Lions have been killing it this year. Like, they are the story team to me, at least. Um, Yeah. Well, of course they are, uh, because you're a, a Lions fan, um, but, but I think just in general, I think it's, it's the classic example of a team that's normally getting bullied. That's always the underdog is finally showing up and playing well. 
it's one of those things where like, yeah, people are going to get behind it. Um, and like naturally so, you know, um, it's also, it's not necessarily for everybody. Um, it's definitely gritty. It's definitely, I mean, I feel like they've taken on the identity of Detroit in a way, which again, that's going to make them even more loved by the fans. Um, because they, they feel like this team is really representing us. Um, and we're winning in a way that, that we feel like true to our identity about. So, you know, definitely shout out to all of them. Also, Brad Holmes, the GM, like you were saying, it's one thing for Dan Campbell to come in and, you know, kind of shift the culture and, and bite off kneecaps and all that crazy stuff. Um, (laughs) it's another thing to make the, the kind of moves that are necessary in order to get the right people in the building to be a part of the culture, which he has done. Like you mentioned, um, Hutchinson at two, Sam Laporte, you know, drafting Sam Laporta, Amon Ross St. Brown, who was, you know, woefully underdrafted. Uh, there have been a lot of, you know, there are, there aren't that many guys. Um, I think there's a couple offensive linemen, like Taylor, Taylor Decker is one of them, um, who were, you know, that was the last time, or they were only, I think, two or three guys from the last playoff team that the Lions had. Um, you know, are still on the team now. So it's it's really been a, a, a major overhaul of um of the offense and of the defense. Um and you just gotta give them a lot of credit. And it's fun to watch. I'll I'll say that. Even like David Montgomery bringing him in, pairing him with Jameer Gibbs, understanding like maybe Gibbs isn't going to be the traditional three down back per se, but them utilizing, you know, both of those guys has been really effective for him, taking some of the pressure off of golf. Um, so yeah, it's been really exciting to watch. I'm looking forward to that game. I mean, right now the Niners are favored by seven. Um, that seems a little high considering what we just watched last round. Um, Though, to be fair, it's hard for me to not root for Brock Purdy. Uh, His story is just, I mean, he's got to win. He's got to win a Super Bowl first before we really start making this comparison for sure. But it it gives you Tom Brady vibes of a guy who was, you know, really underdrafted, not the best athletically, um, but has come in and all he's done is is played extremely well. He, he came right in and has, you know, for all the people that say like he's in a, a great position to succeed, sure he is. So is Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> and and Jimmy Garoppolo was not able to get it done. Um and they've been great with Purdy. So you gotta give him all the credit in the world. Um we'll see if Shanahan can can win the big game. Uh he's failed a couple times now in the Super Bowl. So we'll see if they do end up getting there because the line, you know, this Lions team, they are, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for sure. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing the outcome of, of that game. I mean, you mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo as a comparison, you know, like looking at what Brock Purdy has been able to do in the same system. I mean, we're looking at a Niners team that took Trey Lance, like, way high ass up in the draft um and this is literally like the um the antithesis to that like oh you have to grab your quarterback like top five in the draft and you know it's got to be like the most highly touted prospect 
not really. I mean, literally, Mr. Irrelevant is a game away from the Super Bowl. You never know. I'm, you know, this is Brock Purdy is 100% more exceptional than a rule, but you never really know where your playmakers are going to come from, where in the draft that all the talent's going to come out of. I mean, for example, you look in you look in the AFC, right? You got Lamar Jackson, you got Josh Allen, both of whom were in the same draft class, neither of whom were the talked about quarterback. The like those quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield went one, then Sam Darnold, and next guy up in the conversation for a lot of people was freaking Josh Rosen. <laughs> like and now look. It's just yeah. It's just wild to think about in that way. Um, I'll also say, like, because it would be cool to see Brock Purdy win, the teams that we're left with at this point, it's kind of different for me. There's not really a team that I don't want to win. You know, like, for all four teams left, and we haven't talked about the Ravens and Chiefs yet, but I will find a reason to be happy for any of these four teams. Um. I know who I want to win and all, but I'll find something positive to take from whatever the case ends up being. And that's refreshing. It is. Um, I can't necessarily say the same. I'll be a little annoyed if the Chiefs make the, the Super Bowl again, um, just because I like fresh blood in there. That's all I can say. Um, but you do have to respect Patrick Mahomes never not making the AFC Championship game since he became the starting quarterback of the chiefs, that is just an unreal stat. Um, yeah. And we're talking about Brady comparisons. Like Mahomes is the guy that you're looking at. Like he's the, he's the one who has the best chance of, you know, if he stays on this current trajectory of potentially being up there in, in that debate. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the Chiefs a little bit since that's the last team we haven't really mentioned. Um, it's been well documented that this was not the easiest season for the Chiefs, especially offensively. A lot of the drop passes. Um, a lot more you know, of the drop passes. Yeah, more drop passes. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the fact is, it is not the same kind of team that was you know, high rolling offense with Tyreek Hill um, that we saw, you know, a few years ago when they really took the league by storm. It's very different now. And Mahomes has to play it a little bit differently than he did. And you got to give him credit and Andy Reid credit for sticking to the plan, um, sticking with their guys, you know, Rashi Rice. I mean, he's been, he's been a godsend for them, a rookie receiver, really the only one outside of Kelsey that you can really count on um, other than Pacheco, of course, but here they are still managing to make it into the AFC championship game. And of course, at just at the, at the right time, they are gelling and looking probably the best that they have all season offensively in the playoffs. And this is, this is what the great teams do. You know, maybe the the season is a little bit rocky. There's there's some ups and downs, um, but when it comes down to it, come playoff time, they figure it out and they gel and then they win football games. Um, and if you watched the the game against the Bills in the divisional round, 
well, you were a lucky guy or gal because it lived up to the hype again. Um, I, I wish that Chiefs and Bills could play in the playoffs every year just because we're pretty much bound to get a drama, action-packed game of football. And, you know, I feel bad for the Bills because it really felt like, you know, they were down and out, they were on the mat, and they came back and managed to make it into the playoffs. And, you know, their one errant Josh Allen throw away for potentially being in the AFC Championship game. But, you know, it wasn't quite enough. It kind of reminds me of, um, you know, some of these other like great players who can't quite get past the greatest player or greatest team. Um, we've seen several examples of that throughout history um, where it's just, it's unfortunate, but Josh Allen right now, like he's, he's the bridesmaid and, and Mahomes is, or I guess he's the groomsman and Mahomes is, is the groom type of thing huh. um, where he just can't get the better of them. And maybe that, that year will come, but it's not this year. And against a lot of the odds, the Chiefs are back in the AFC Championship game. And at this point, should you bet against them? Um, the Ravens look pretty unbeatable right now. But if you look at the track records, the Chiefs have come together, you know, in the nick of time and are looking really, really solid. Um and we're able to beat a really hot Bills team. There are like a couple, well, really like four plays in mind where if you're the Bills, you've got to be looking at like, if this play goes differently, we win or tie the game. Um, well, tie and then maybe have a chance to win it later on. Um, there's one miss, like one bad throw from Josh Allen. There's a pass that went through Stefan Diggs' hands. There's the fake punt, and then there's the missed field goal by Tower Bass. Um, any of those going differently, let alone multiple of them going differently, massively swings the outcome of this game, um, which shows like how close the Bills are to this. But yeah, here we are again, losing that game. Um, we, as if, you know, A, we're Bills players or even Bills fans, we're not. Um, though I think we may consider this on the next tier list, like, well, when we look at the Bills, they do have to prove that they can pass the Chiefs at some point, right? Um, one thing I do want to say, like, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen this in sports, sadly, and it won't be the last, but Tyler Bass has had to deactivate all social media because he's been getting harassed and he's been getting death threats. Um, what the hell? Like, I love sports. Um <laughs> And on the last episode, we were talking about Michigan winning the championship. Um, and I talked about, you know, that was my biggest fear. That would never happen, blah, blah, blah. And we said, okay, to people that don't care that much about sports, that just seems like dumb and silly. But, you know, we're invested in it, so it means a lot to us. With that said, it would still never dawn to me, like dawn on me, to get so pissed at a player that I'm like, oh, you should die or, you know, whatever the hell. Like... I'm thinking about like um, when Jake Thaw muffed that punt against Alabama, that would have like, had that not been recovered, it would have cost us the game and I would have been pissed about it, but I never would have thought to go to social media and like harass him or his family. 
Um, people need to be better because that's it's unacceptable. It it truly is. Uh, I just wanted to mention that while we're on the subject that like we love sports, we love being passionate about sports, and sports need people to be passionate and invested in the outcomes of the games and the success or failure of their team. But can we cool it just a little bit, or a lot, or a lot of bit? Um, when in in cases like these, I mean, you could just as easily point fingers at Stefan Diggs, or at the coaches for calling the fake punt, or at Josh Allen for missing that throw and not just checking it down to Diggs, which potentially would have made it an easier field goal, or he would have gotten a first down. Um, you could easily, like you said, those four plays, and there were more. I'm sure over the course of the game that would have affected it too. But I feel like uh, typically speaking, unfortunately the kickers are the ones who get the brunt of these things when it comes down to it. Um, And that's just kind of unfair, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So let's now get into predictions. Let's start with the chiefs Ravens game. Ravens are favored by four points. Currently. I feel like the you know, the Ravens being favored by four, the Niners being favored by seven. In my opinion, almost feels like that should be flipped. Um, I feel like the Ravens right now are the team to beat uh, with the way that the offense is playing. They're probably going to get Mark Andrews back as well, which is going to be a huge boon for them, even though likely he's been playing well. Um, so I don't know. Are you, when you look at chiefs Ravens, who are you leaning towards in a vacuum regular season game? I'd be picking the Ravens. They just look like a more complete team. They've got, uh, Lamar Jackson, what he did in the last game, first quarterback ever, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, hundred plus passing yards, hundred plus rushing yards, like the definition of that dual threat quarterback, uh, the likes of which we've never seen. The Ravens are the more complete team. They are a better team. They're also a team that has, you know, as presently constructed, no visits to the Super Bowl versus a team in the Chiefs that, well, have been to this game six years in a row and have gotten to the Super Bowl like half of them. I don't want to turn into the type of person that just picks on like, oh, well, I'm never going to pick the new guy or whatever, but... Looking at this matchup, history just kind of tells me to pick the Chiefs until proven otherwise. It it feels a little cynical, probably because it is. Um, <laughs> but I and I want the Ravens to win, but I'm I'm picking the Chiefs here. And that's coming from someone that, you know, aside from the Lions, like the next storyline up that I would love to see is like, oh, Jim Harbaugh wins the natty then John Harbaugh wins the Super Bowl. That'd be really cool to me. But I, for my money, I'd, I'd just have to pick the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is that guy. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I mean, they've shown plenty of times before that they've been there and that they can do it. So I totally get it. I'm going to have to go with the Ravens just because that defensive performance that they put on against the Texans was very impressive. Um I think that, you know, personnel-wise, they match up pretty well with the Chiefs. And also, I just think they're they're really hot right now. 
Um, and I know the Chiefs are too, but if you know, it just kind of seems like this is the Ravens' time. So I'm gonna go with them. I'm gonna say it's gonna be a close game. Of course, I'm not sitting here saying that the Ravens are gonna blow them out necessarily, but I'm gonna have to go with the Ravens on this one. And then the Lions 49ers. This one is really tough for me uh, because my heart says Lions because um, I really want them to make to you know make it to the Super Bowl in this storybook season. The other part of me is like, yeah, but the Niners, when it comes down to it, you know, they probably have the better roster uh, and when it came to you know when it came down to it against the Packers like yeah it wasn't their best performance but they got the game-changing plays that they needed especially from that defense I can see the Niners potentially forcing some turnovers on Goff and that really kind of changing the game where Brock Purdy for the most part has been pretty good about avoiding turnovers um, though he did almost throw a pick to Darnell Savage that really should have been picked. Um, but I think for the, you know, for the most part, Purdy's been doing a better job of taking care of the ball. Um, and at the end of the day, McCaffrey is just on another level. Um, yeah, Debo missing is, is tough, but to be fair, Jawan Jennings came in and was her second leading receiver. And also, you know, the blocking in the run game was crazy. So, I'm going to, I'm going to edge to the 49ers on this one. Um, also before the uh, playoff started, I did a like playoff bracket and I had the Ravens and the 49ers in the Super Bowl. So I kind of just want to stick to that as well. I actually had, um, Lions, 49ers and Ravens bills in the, the last four teams. So, you know, Three out of four is not bad, but I am going to stick with my Ravens Niners prediction that I had before the start of the playoffs. Yeah, um, the 49ers are really, really, really good, and Christian McCaffrey is that guy. And in a league where the MVP didn't go to a quarterback all the time. CMC would be in the running for it. Um, one thing I'm looking at with the Niners is that Debo Samuel injury. And I wish that we could just like hold my prediction until we know if he's going to play. Because I, I really do feel like if Debo plays, then I'd probably pick San Fran. And if Debo does not, I'd probably pick Detroit. In the three game, in the three regular season games that the 49ers played this season without Debo Samuel, they lost all three. Uh, the two that he missed like fully, I think they lost both of those games by 17. Um, so you know, additionally, I don't have the same problem with San Francisco that I have with. Kansas City, where I'm like, oh, they have a history of success in figuring it out. Instead, it's like, they seem to have a history of not getting the job done. Uh, just, that doesn't really, you know, even though the it's not like the Lions have a rich history of success. I was about to say, but speaking of not getting the job done, 
at all or getting even close to it. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's it's different. Because um, with the Chiefs, I'm like, okay, well, this team keeps getting it done. But I don't have that team to point to in this matchup. But I can't just, you know, do one or the other. I'm not going to be flip-floppy about it. I'll go ahead and pick the Lions. Why not? So we have something different on both. So no matter what the Super Bowl ends up being, between the two of us, we called both games correctly. Huh. Yeah. I, w- I honestly wouldn't even be surprised if it ends up being like Ravens-Lions or Niners-Chiefs. Yeah, just um. so that one, neither of us could be completely right. Yeah. Um, also, one one other thing I wanted to point out is the Lions corners were getting picked on in that game against the Buccaneers. Um, and yes, Debo's not going to be playing, but Brandon Ayuk low-key had one of the better seasons of any receiver in the NFL, uh, specifically if you look at the analytics. Um, I, I can't really see a situation where Sutton and Vildor are going to be slowing down Ayuk much. Um, not to mention you have to deal with Kittle and McCaffrey, even if Debo doesn't play. Um, so that makes me feel good as well um, about their chances. And again, like I said, I think defensively the Niners have those playmakers to potentially compensate for you know the loss of Debo. But anyway, yeah, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being uh, you know a split of the of the two. But either way. I'm really excited for both of these matchups. I think they're going to be really exciting, really close, um, really well-fought games. And watching the playoffs, this is kind of the final thought before we um, transition to the the hot seat and the rest of the segments. I've just really enjoyed watching the playoff games this year because you can really just tell that it means more. Um, You know, just the guys flying to the football, um, you know, the level of hard hits, um, just the the emotion that's there, the the atmosphere in the stadiums going crazy. I mean, all of those things really just just show, you know, maybe during the regular season, like it can be hit or miss at times, um, depending on the level of competition or, um, you know, whatever the 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 case might be. But when it comes to playoff time in the NFL, anything can happen. And just the combination of the drama, the atmosphere, the the high level of play, the, the the slim margin of error that there is, where anything can you know influence the outcome of the game, it's just really exciting to watch. So I've been really enjoying it. As a you know, unfortunately, an outside perspective or a neutral perspective because my team's not in it, but you know, yeah, it really has been a great playoff season uh, so far, and I expect that to just continue if not like just further build as we get into the last we only have three games left this season wacky stuff uh and then it's the draft oh yeah oh yeah so our next episode uh episode 72 you know but will be between uh the conference championship and the super bowl so we'll be able to break down the past games and preview the super bowl itself and then we'll really get into off-season festivities. Uh, but that is going to wrap up this 
conversation for now. So when we come back, we'll get into the hot seat, the fun fact, and close out the show. All right. As promised, we have a hot seat to get into. As usual, we had several candidates. But for this episode, we decided we would stick with the NFL playoff theme and go back to Buffalo, where, first of all, we had some fans throwing snowballs at Patrick Mahomes, which was funny to see. But after the Chiefs beat them, we get this uh, report that comes out, I think, first from Donovan Smith uh, from the Chiefs that uh, had said this. Apparently, um, the Bills shut off the hot water in the Chiefs locker room after the game. And let's just say it was cold there. You know, Bills fans shoveling their seats out of the snow. It's all part of the game day experience up there, I guess. Um, you know, say what you will about that. Um, I just love the level of petty, you know, like maybe it's all a misunderstanding, but I prefer to think like, no, they were like, Oh, you want to beat us in Buffalo? Well, freeze, you know, like (laughs) enjoy your cold shower. You jerks get the, the full experience here. Um, of freezing your ass off. No. Um, who knows if it was actually intentionally done i wouldn't be surprised if if that was the case if i was the bills and the chiefs had beaten me like three postseasons in a row or whatever it's been i'd be pretty in my feelings too and ready to retaliate um so i thought that was that was pretty funny and yeah the snowballs like sure that's not gonna like hurt him or anything but like low-key when i was watching the the video of it, like they were like pelting him. Like it was like, he kind of had a duck for cover. I'm like, that's a little bit classless. Um, like low key. It reminded me of elf. Uh, when he's like, uh, uh-huh. machine gunning the snowballs. <laughs> yeah. <all lines. laughs> Honestly though. Um, it's that one guy up in the stands. Like, I'm yeah. going to catch. So, I mean, I understand them being sore losers. It makes sense. At a certain point, it's like, what do we have to do to to beat these guys? And they thought the Chiefs going into their house was going to be the the factor that changed it. Unfortunately for them, it wasn't. So we're going to have to give it to the Bills, uh, partly because of the snowballs, partly because of the hot water, and, you know, also the fact that they still can't be the chiefs in the playoffs so just to rub some more salt in that wound um sorry bills fans if you're listening um so to recap a combination of the snowballs the lack of hot water and the failure uh yeah so if you're the chiefs after that game you're just like struggling to find something hot but if you're listening to this podcast and you're looking for something hot fear no more because it's time for dave's fun fact of the episode what will it be this time all right so it's not going to be nfl playoff related um as the rest of this well i guess the head coaching thing wasn't really playoff it's not gonna be nfl related i'll say that but it is going to succinctly like all the way through and here comes david i got a wrench to throw in here yeah but I am 
keeping it in the sports world. So we're recording this on Tuesday, January 23rd. Yesterday, as we're recording, we saw a couple of unbelievable performances in the NBA. Namely, Joel Embiid putting up 70 on the Spurs in a win for them. And Carl Anthony Towns putting up 62 points against the the lowly Hornets <laughs> and the Timberwolves still managing to throw the game. Uh, to be fair, Cat had an absolutely horrible fourth quarter um, and got blocked by Leaky Black, who then made two free throws and to 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 seal the game. <laughs> like, damn. Um, but anyway, I wanted to share a few stats that came out after the game because um, I thought these were pretty interesting and eye-opening, um, at least for me, looking at this from a historical perspective. So the fact that they did it on the same day, they're the fourth pair of players to score 60 points, at least 60 points on the same day. And the first since David Thompson and George Jervin did in 1978, which is crazy. Um, Embiid also beat out Wilt Chamberlain for the franchise record. Towns beat out himself for the Timberwolves record. He had previously scored 60, um, which is also crazy. Towns, who by all accounts, has kind of been a disappointment as a former number one overall pick for the Timberwolves, namely the fact that he hasn't really had much postseason success. He's only the seventh player in NBA history who's had multiple 60-point games in his career. And when you think about all of the player, all of the great, amazing players that have played in the league for however, you know, however many years it's been, only for there only to be seven, and Carl Anthony Towns to be one of them is kind of wild. Um not only that, it was also interesting to me how they got their points differently. Embiid shot one of two from three-point land and still <laughs> managed to score 70 points, which is just kind like it's kind of hard to believe in this day and age that you can still score 70 while hitting one three. Um, it's pretty surprising. Meanwhile, Towns hit 10 and these are both centers. Um, so it's just, it's one of those things again, where it's really showing in the modern NBA, how things have changed over the course of time. Um, a couple of other ones. So Embiid also, um, only played 36 minutes and 38 seconds, which is the fewest in a 70-point game in NBA history. Um, not that there have been too many of those, but that's still the fewest amount of minutes. So then I have one more stat that is arguably even crazier to me than the 70-point game, and that's the fact that he's scored at least 30 points in 21 consecutive games, which the only players who have had more than that in a row are, of course, Wilt Chamberlain and then James Harden when he was peak James Harden with the Rockets. Just the fact that like Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, any of, you know, Carmelo, any of these guys who are, are known as, the, you know, the great scorers in NBA history, we're watching greatness right now. Like we talk about Jokic, you know, being 
are, you know, arguably one of the best, like most skilled centers of all time playing right now. And then you have Embiid, who is honestly overshadowing him a bit, you know, last season and this season. It's just crazy to see the level of talent. You know, KD was interviewed after his game where I think he scored a pedestrian like 40 or something. <laughs> um, and he was like, Embiid scored 70? 70? And he was just saying like, it just shows like we're in peak basketball right now. Like right now is the best that basketball has ever been where the, the players are more skilled than they ever have been. And also offensively, coaches are the best they've ever been of scheming up ways to get their best players the ball in situations where they can make the most of those opportunities and, you know, get good shots. So that was kind of a lot of different fun facts all together at you. Um, Hopefully at least a few of those kind of stuck with you as I was going through. But when Embiid scored 70, and then I saw that Towns had like 44 at halftime and ended up with 62, it just really got me thinking like, man, that's got to be historic. Like these kinds of games do not happen very often. So the fact that they both happened on the same day was crazy. And just kind of a shout out in general to number one, Carl Anthony Towns, because on his day, he could be the best player in the world. Um, and Embiid, who is the best player in the world right now, I think it's got to be said. I don't think anybody else can realistically have have a, a good argument for it right now. He's just been too dominant. Yeah. Um, for quite a while, I've been Jokic at one, and I think that's been fair. But now it's not anymore. Uh, Embiid has surpassed him at this point. Now, Jokic is two, and I don't know that Embiid will finish this season at one. But right now, yeah, he's the best in the world. Um, as for like bas- being at peak basketball, yeah, in terms of skill and scheming, one hundred percent. Like, of course, we can be nostalgic about you know whatever era, the physicality, the rivalry, you know the parody, whatever, but top to bottom, the league has never been as talented as it is now. Like no chance. Um, one thing that's funny to me about, you know, everything that you were talking about is the knowledge that in town's game, they still lost to the Hornets. Um, I did see a clip of towns hitting a three in that game and just, hearing the Hornets announcer just you could hear him just defeated, but also classic Hornets announcer entertaining. I need to know that guy's name because Eric Collins. Yes. Okay. Thank you. He has like a direct line to my funny bone. Um, he just screamed. No! <laughs> like as Talents is taking the three, cause he knows it's about to go in. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, I will say there's there's a part of me that really appreciates when the opposing announcers can't hide their admiration or their despair when somebody on the other team is going off. Because um, it's just like anything else, like that grud, 
you know, the grudging respect that you have for the team that's, you know, or the guy that's, that's beating your team. Like, but you can't not have admiration for what he's doing though. In Towns's case, yeah, he absolutely bricked it in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I also looked at the box score after the game and I was like, huh, Anthony Edwards didn't even score in double digits, but he had 11 assists. Cause he was, just, he just kept trying to give Towns the ball. <laughs> like that's all he's doing. Uh, so it's just kind of funny that, you know, they still lost to the Hornets. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great time to be a, a basketball fan. Cause the, the, you know, the talent levels that we're at right now is, is crazy for sure. But I think that is going to wrap up this episode of the Mike and Dave podcast. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Um, you know, we're really looking forward to these next couple playoff games. So definitely let us know your thoughts on those as well on social media at Mike and Dave pod. Um, we'd love to, you know, be a part of that conversation with you. Episode 72 will be coming out on February 9th and then the Super Bowl will be two days after that. So you'll want to listen in for that to hear our final thoughts right before the Super Bowl. But like I said, two weeks, uh, that's how far out we are or how close we are to the Super Bowl and the conclusion of the NFL season. But until that next episode, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast. Alexander on the beat.